Afternoon, Crosswalk. Thank you for coming. Glad to have you here, whether it's the first time you've come, whether it's the 20th time you come, we're just excited uh, to see you, especially uh, for you to come indoors in the Northwest when it's nice outside. We will always celebrate that choice. So thank you for coming and, and spending some time with us. Um, we, lots going on in our community, um, and uh, this, this afternoon, if you don't know, Landon and Sam, uh, who often sit right here, and, and you'll know Landon because he's vocal, um, always lets me know when I've arrived on stage and when I leave stage. Uh, they're getting married this afternoon, so we'll be running from here to over there to celebrate with them, and then I have the pleasure of jumping on a, f a plane for a red eye. Who loves red eyes? <laughs> Um, but I get to head to uh, Chattanooga and spend a couple of days out there um, and uh, do some meetings with some of our other crosswalk pastors. You know, we are a part of this system uh, of churches, and we're, we celebrate today with Crosswalk Chattanooga. Not only did they get a building uh, and come up with $2 million in 15 days to help pay for that building, and they got a new sign on the outside of it that they put up last night, but they also this morning got a pastor. Um, and so Dave Ferguson is their new lead pastor at Crosswalk Chattanooga. He just transitioned from being the lead pastor at Southern Adventist University, and now he's pastoring at Crosswalk Chattanooga. We're excited for them. A couple of weeks from now, I get to go to Crosswalk New England um, and speak to them. They are, they are on fire and growing, and, and we're excited to see what's happening in New England. I may also selfishly get to go to a baseball game at Fenway. Um, so that's... That they asked me when I could come and speak, and I said, it's so weird. My schedule is only open when the Cincinnati Reds are playing the Red Sox in Boston. So I don't know how that happened, but, you know, I'll take it. Um, so, uh, and, you know, like, like Laura said, if you weren't here last week for Gary's baptism, it was so much fun to celebrate with him and to see. He is, he is like a crosswalk evangelist. Like, he went back to Brood, their, their family owns Brood Cafe and Pub in downtown Vancouver, and he was telling everybody that would listen all about Crosswalk and what it means to love well. So we're just excited uh, to see uh, God moving in this place here locally in Portland and our other um, opportunities and, and campuses that he's growing. But I will promise you that I will always be myself. I will always be transparent in front of you. I, I'm a what you see is what you get kind of person. Um, I was talking to someone recently, this gets me into trouble from time to time, I was talking to someone who was visiting a, another church and they had a person come up to them and asked, he said, you guys over at Crosswalk, like, do you just have collegiate services? Uh, and the person said, why, what do you, why would you say that? He said, well, because I went once and I, I listened to your pastor and he said things like Rihanna and he talked about his zipper being down. And I just figured it was a service for college students. And it's like, nope, that's what you get every week. Crosswalk, you get all of this. Uh, so apologize in advance for some of you where it's too much. I, I know. But um, I am excited to, to be here with you and to see what God is going to do next. Uh, we are in week two of our series called Elemental, which is a difficult, I've been excited and scared about this series because even in the title and the logo, it talks about a guide to deconstructing your faith. Why in the world would we want people to start asking questions? Aren't we all about just affirming what you already believe, um, you know, and adding to that pot? But that is the complexity of faith and being a follower of Jesus, is it's being okay with questions. But if we're honest, 
Asking questions often in the church world is something that's really difficult to do, right? Because in the church world, we often play the part that we've got it all figured out. We've got it all together. We have all the answers and all the questions. And we come and we, we often, you know, we put on our Saturday best or our Sunday best. And we dress up and we, we look like we've got things together, right? Our kids are the perfect children. Forget the fact that in the car before we got here, we were, everybody was yelling at each other. But you walk in the doors of the church and everything's good. By appearances, we've got it all together. I even had a, a person once sitting by themselves uh, at a church service that I was involved with years ago who uh, looked like they had a challenge. Something was going on um, in their heart and their mind. And I walked up to them and I asked if they were okay. And they said, yeah, I just don't think I can come back to this church. And I said, oh, why? Is everything okay? I didn't know if somebody had mistreated them or whatever. And they just said, no, I, just that everybody here at this church seems to have it all together and I don't. And I said, oh, well, we just, we just tricked you, didn't we? <laughs> right? So it's a tough place sometimes to ask questions. But if I'm honest and transparent, I, as a pastor and a spiritual leader, have had my share of questions over the course of my life. Questions I've struggled with over time. And some of those questions I now have answers to, other ones I'm still wrestling with, and other ones I've just gotten to the place where I'm okay with questions that don't have answers. Um, these questions are things like, over the course of life, right, are things like, where is God? Does God really exist? If he does, is he really good? Does he really love me? If he's really good, why is there suffering? Why do so many prayers seem to go unanswered? Why does, uh, you seem to answer the prayer of a parking space, but not the prayer to heal a loved one. The list goes on and on. And when we were kids, we had all types of questions that we asked other people, right? We asked questions like, why is the sky blue? Where does ice cream come from? Why does ice cream taste so amazing? Why can't I have more ice cream? Am I alone in the ice cream thing? But then we get older, right, and we get some answers to these questions. We get told, well, the sky is blue because of the sun, the reflection off the water. And, of course, we all know ice cream comes from Tillamook. Um, we don't know how it comes from there. We just know it comes from the magical land called Tillamook, um, you know. Uh, and, and that it's so good because of this amazing thing called sugar that we all want more of. Um, so some answers uh, that we get to questions, not a, not a big deal. It's not life-changing. But then there are other things we find out sometimes that are devastating to us. They're difficult for us to learn. I know I've told you guys before um, about my dad. Who my, my dad died about 10 years ago, but um, he was a person that loved to do pranks, and he loved to do those on people that he worked with as a respiratory therapist, and he loved to do those on his children. Um, and, you know, for, for years and years, I thought his belly button was a bullet wound from when he was in the war. Um, and, you know, I know I've told you on St. Paddy's Day, he would color our noses green in the middle of the night while we slept. Because when we woke up and we saw our green noses in the mirror, it was because the leprechaun had touched us in the middle of the night. Um, but the one that was, the one that meant a lot to me ha involved my name, right? Is my name Patty? It's unusual for a guy to have the name Patty, at least here in the U.S. Uh, and it is a common thing in the home country of Ireland. Uh, but not only is Patty different, because it's P-A-D-D-Y and I'm a boy, but it's also because of my legal name, which is Padrick. So... Patty comes from Patrick. There's obviously no T in the spelling of, of Patrick for me. That's the Gaelic spelling of Patrick. If it was a little bit older, it would end with a G-H instead of a C. But as a kid, obviously, this was tough for people. They didn't get it. 
Um, and I had to have a nameplate on my desk that actually helped me spell my name for a while until I got it right myself. Um, so with all the challenges that came from the name when I was a kid, there was one thing I held on to that helped me have this unusual name. It was because my dad told me my name was biblical. It was in scripture. And somehow, you know, I didn't know much, but I knew the Bible was pretty important and pretty special, so that must have meant my name was pretty special. But then when I was 11 years old, I realized that apparently the story is about somebody named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, instead of what my dad had always told me, which of course was Padrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? 11 years old. I wasn't the sharpest tack in the box back then. Um, some of you were saying back then. <laughs> um, but as much as my dad loved to play his pranks, there was something I knew about him that made it okay, and that was that he loved me. I didn't question that. And that's critical when you are asking questions. You have to know that there is a basis of love. And maybe that's why as kids you feel more free to ask questions, because you trust in people and you trust in love more. But then as we get older, we question other people's motives. And we become way more selective of the questions that we ask. And this phenomenon happens in churches. If we question, if we have doubts, we wonder, are we still loved? Are we still supported? Will we still be safe in this church, in this community? Is it safe to take risks within this community of faith? Now the scriptures are full of questions. They are full of questions that we ask God and questions that God asks of us. And there's all sorts of excuse me, places that we could go to for this. I'm just going to look at two. One comes from the story of Job. Now, the story of Job can seem much like a tragedy. It started off with Job having everything you can imagine. He had health, he had wealth, he had family, he had all the things you could ever want, and a faith in God. But then all of that was stripped away with the tragedy. He lost all those things. and He began to question God and his motives. He started to curse the day he was born and said, I shouldn't have even come into this world. That's what you would do. He questioned why this was all happening to him. Anybody would. Job's friends had questions of God, and Job as well. So most of Job is about the questions that they ask of God. But then in chapter, chapter 28, God asks his own questions. And that happens for a full two chapters, and it starts off with things like this. Who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Man, if that wouldn't make you shake in your boots. Then God starts, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Do you know when the wild goats give birth? Have you watched as deer are born in the wild? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of the time of their delivery? Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Now what happens in this exchange, right, is that Job learns his place. He learns that he's not all that in a bag of chips. What he thought he knew and was so sure of actually is really small in comparison to who God is and what God knows. And that's what we talked about last week with Pastor Sam um, was with us, right? He talked about the immensity and the enormity of God who can't be contained in a box. And so oftentimes we make these doctrinal statements and things and says, this is it. We figured God out. And God's like, man, you guys, man, you're only looking at this and there's so much more out there. 
And so Job realizes his place in all of this. And then it, it comes to him and he responds this way. Job says to God, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So, so Job basically comes to this place of saying, God, I, I made a lot of assumptions about you. Now I realize, actually, there's a lot I didn't know. And God is okay with that. God didn't abandon Job. He was with him in that wrestling and in that struggle and in that place. And then another example. Um, it, it's one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. It's found in John chapter 3. And in that, a religious leader and teacher of the law, one who is supposed to have all the answers, who's supposed to know everything there is to know about who God is, comes to Jesus at night with his own questions and struggles. Now, he comes at night because he's not ready to be seen, right? It's dangerous for him to come to somebody like Jesus, or at least among his colleagues anyway. So he comes to him at night. There's a reason why when we worship and we come in this space, we make it dark because some of us aren't ready yet to be seen. So he comes to him at night, and it doesn't sound like he has questions initially of Jesus, but Jesus, is, Jesus knows his heart. He knows what he's really there for. So Nicodemus comes to him initially, and the conversation begins and says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish reli religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Obviously, Nicodemus had seen something in Jesus, and he was curious, and he had questions because it was different than what he understood. The things that he had understood in the religious law, Jesus is saying things that are different. I'm not, he's trying to figure this stuff out. And then Jesus starts off and says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So the questions come, and this is what I refer to as the worst mental image ever given to another human being. You must be born again. Well, how can I climb back into my mother's womb? Just think that he had to wrestle with that thought. Um, you know, but he has his questions, and for the next several minutes, Jesus is talking to him and teaching things that I don't think Nicodemus had a clue of what Jesus was saying. I think this teacher of the law who had all the answers suddenly didn't have any of them. As a part of that exchange, Jesus goes on to say, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now hold on to that phrase, that the Son of Man must be lifted up, because we're going to come back to that. But then Jesus tells Nicodemus one of the most familiar quotes. If you don't know much about scripture, you have likely heard this one. John 3:16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And that, my friends, is why we know God is a safe space for us to come and ask questions. Because God loved us. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Now, 
I think Nicodemus left this exchange with more questions than he had answers for. I mean, he probably came with a few things he wanted to talk to Jesus about, but now he left and he has no idea. There's so many things he doesn't know. But what's interesting is, three years later, approximately, we're introduced to Nicodemus again by John. This time, the crucifixion of Jesus. John tells us afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds, the amount you would bring to a royal wedding, or funeral, sorry, five pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloe. I've always wondered in this moment, this is three years later, I think Nicodemus has continued to wrestle with the things that Jesus said that night, but here, I wonder if when Nicodemus was helping Jesus off the cross, did the words flash through his mind, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Oh, this is what he meant. He wrestled with that for three years, and now he had an answer wasn't the one he was thinking of, but he had an answer. Now, we all have questions, and I've learned, if I've learned anything about God in my life, it's that he's not afraid of our questions. He can take it. He is big enough and much more patient with us than we give him credit for. And why can he take it? Why is he okay with our questions? Why would he rather us ask questions than keep them to ourselves? Because of the most important thing there is to learn about God stated so clearly in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. God is love, and that is the most important discovery you'll ever make in your life. When you have questions, when you have doubts, when your world seems turned upside down, if you can have confidence in knowing that God is love, then you can go on that journey and that struggle with those questions because you know he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And if you've ever questioned that love, we believe as Christians that the clearest revelation of God that we have is the God who died on a cross for his creation. And we look to that, and we know that God is love. Now, in the Adventist faith tradition, for those of us a part of that, we know, uh, uh, we, we have a founder of the church, Ellen White, who was a prolific author, right? She had so many books that she wrote, and towards more of the, later on in her career, she had this great clarification of who God was. And she wrote this series of books called The Conflict of the Ages series, five different books, hundreds of thousands of pages written in there that start with the history of creation and they go through the stories of scripture and the life of Jesus and then the great controversy of all the things that are going on in our world that have and are and will. And this, if you've never actually seen or checked this out, um, this is how that series begins. This is the first book called Patriarchs and Prophets. Um, and... Let me get to past the introduction. And it begins like this. God is love. 1 John 4, 16. His nature, his law is love. It ever has been, it ever will be. 
and then you go through the entire series and all the things that happen in the world and you get to the great controversy and all the things that are happening and will happen and then you get the closing words the great controversy is ended sin and sinners are no more the entire universe is clean one pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation from him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space i couldn't say that at the first service <laughs> from the minutest atom to the greatest world all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that god is love the story begins with god is love the story ends with god is love and all throughout with all of our questions with all of our struggles with all of our doubts the story is still true that god is love Peter Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, tells us that the most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. When we understand that God loves us, we can ask him anything. We can wrestle and we can struggle and here is why our questions are so important in the journey of faith. Because in the world of faith development, just like in educational models and psychology and other things, there are different models of how we as humans develop. And in the faith world, it's the same thing, but all of those models are based on one that's pretty simple. It's only four stages. The first stage of faith development is falling in love. You go from whatever you were before meeting Christ into this state of just loving God and everything, you, you can't get enough. I watched an individual do this once um, and, and go much like Gary from this place of really not knowing anything about God to finding God and just being in love and wanting to tell everybody and eating up everything you give him. And somebody gave him The Desire of Ages, which is the story of Jesus. And it's an 800-page book. And Gary read through it in one weekend. He just couldn't get enough. He was falling in love. But then we go from falling in love to stage two, which is understanding the rules of the relationship or the rules of engagement, you might say, right? The rules of relationship, now that you've fallen in love, you've got to ask, okay, how does this relationship work? What does this relationship look like? I often tell couples that I do premarital for, I told Landon and Sam this as I was going on that journey with them, I, I said, you know, so much of those first few years of marriage is, is training, of how to live with the other person and what the other person appreciates and loves and needs, right? And the example I always give is like, if I was living in my house all by myself and I made a piece of toast on the kitchen counter, would I always clean up the crumbs afterwards if it was just me? Probably not. But because I know my wife likes when I do that, because I know that's something that she values, that now when I make a piece of toast, I clean up those crumbs 72% of the time, maybe 67, but I do that because I do that because I know that's one thing that Trisha likes and she enjoys when I take time and I think through that. So understanding the rules, this is the part of knowing the commandments, this is the part of the black and white, things are clear in this stage, you do this, you don't do this, end of story. And some of us stay in stage two because it's safer because it's more clear, because I know what I can do and what I can't do, and I know how this works. Bible says it, I believe it, end of story. It's safer because the next stage is appropriately called 
chaos. Chaos is where we start asking the questions. But why is it this way? Why does God do this? Why is God like that? We question our beliefs. And it's chaos because it's scary. Because the ground we thought we were standing on seemed so black and white. It's now there's so much gray. And I, I don't know where to go. And I don't know what to do. And so a lot of times we'll stay in that stage two because it's more clear. And stage three is chaos. But we have to go through chaos in order to get to stage four, which is ownership. Once we ask those questions, we wrestle and we journey, we come to a place where now our faith is ours. It's not our parents' faith. It's not whoever led me into the faith. Now it's mine. Now, I have a theory that once you go into chaos, even when you get to ownership, you always have one foot left in chaos. You always still ask questions. You're still going to wrestle. You're never going to have it all figured out. In the Adventist world, I talked about this a few weeks ago, we call that present truth. We call that place of chaos this idea that God is always going to have more to teach us, always going to have more to show us. We're never going to have all the answers. We're still going to be on a journey of searching because the Spirit has more to show us. So questions are an important part of the journey of faith. Understanding that God is love and a safe person to ask our questions is crucial. Paul told us that these three things will last forever faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love but just as important as these is community we need community that we know we are loved that we know we belong and it's safe for us to ask our questions again traditionally in church it hasn't always been the safe place to ask questions right people have been kicked out of communities for the questions they ask we have too often been afraid of questions because our questions may cause somebody else to question and rock the boat. But my hope and dream for the crosswalk community is that we'd be a place that's okay with each other's questions. We'd be okay with the wrestling and the struggling of our faith. Why? Because we believe God is love and we believe he has called us to above all else, first and foremost, to love well. To love one another as he loves us. If we can truly live and practice this command, then we can love each other through the questions and through the struggles of life and faith. When you can't pray, I'll pray for you. When, when I'm having questions and doubts, you can remind me that God loves me and he is here. That's our call as a community. I was deeply struck a couple of weeks ago while reading a book entitled Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staten. Tyler is uh, currently serving as the lead pastor at Bridgetown here in Portland. Um, and in talking about the practice of confession, he writes this. He said, the desperate need of our time is not for successful Christians, popular Christians, or winsome Christians. It's for deep Christians. And the only way to become a deep Christian is through the inner excavation called confession. The pathway of spiritual maturity is a descent, not an ascent. A maturing community is a confessing community, not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. And we talk about that with confessing, and obviously we always think about confessing with like sin, but there's also confessing the struggle, sharing our questions with each other. Going to somebody else and saying, you know, I'm really having a hard time with this or that aspect or that element or this element of the faith. Because when we keep our secrets, our secrets keep us sick. They keep us from growing, right? 
It is my prayer that we could be a church without secrets, that we'd share our questions with each other, our sins, our struggles. None of us have it all figured out. And if we start and end with love, then we can wrestle with the in-between, knowing that God is with us wherever we're at. So on some of the seats around you, there are cards. On those cards is an opportunity to confess something or to ask a question. And there's a couple different ways to do that. There's also a QR code on the card, and there's a QR code up here. A few weeks ago, I introduced this idea of asking anything because when we come to campus days, which for us at Crosswalk is what the, the Sabbath that falls in between two sermon series, um, and we get to talk about the things on our hearts and on our minds here. And when we do that, we want to wrestle with the questions that you have. And so we want you to ask the questions you're wrestling with. And you can either do that digitally on the form, or you can fill out the card and you can put it in the GiveWell box on your way out. But we want you to let us know what you're wrestling with. And if that's a confession, you don't have to put your name on there. You can just write it out and we will pray over you and whatever that, whatever that is. Because again, when you hold on to it, you keep it inside, your secrets keep you sick. We want to be a place of healing. We want to be a place of love and grace. We want to be a place where it's okay to ask questions, to ask anything. We don't have all the answers, but we know that God is love, and we know that God is here, and we're going to love each other through whatever it is that we're going through. That's what we're about. That's what we're called to. And you can fill that out now. You can do it on the way home, not while you're driving. But you can let us know because we care about you. We care about what you're going through. We care about what your questions are. And this is a safe space to ask. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for being a God of love. I thank you that we are never alone, that you are with us always to the very end of the age. And I thank you that you're okay with our questions. You're okay, God, because look, we don't know everything. We only see small slices of information and experiences and things here and there. And we just have to trust that you are good and that you are love. And we have to create communities that are all about loving well so that people can come and encounter who you really are, wherever they're coming from, whatever they're going through. Help us be that kind of community. Help us to love well. Help us to ask our questions, to be ourselves. And help us to see Jesus more clearly. We love you so much. We thank you for this time. God, be with us. We continue to grow. We continue to wrestle as we continue to question. And as we continue to seek more and more of you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Please stand with us as we continue to worship. Amen.